welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. Now, turning to the AT&T Time Warner deal, federal judge Richard Leon rejected the Justice Department's bid to block that proposed $85 billion acquisition of Time Warner, a decision that could lead to much more consolidation in the media sector. Just after the decision was announced, AT&T's lead lawyer, Daniel Petrocelli, addressed the media. I've been asked by many people, what is the uh, significance of this transaction on many other deals that are uh, pending in the marketplace? You know, my answer to that is that each and every one of these transactions stands on its own, as this one did. Joining us is Marianne Halford, global media and entertainment strategist at OC&C Strategy Consulting. Marianne, do you agree with Petricelli, or will consolidation accelerate and big media grow bigger? Well, I agree on both fronts. Um, I think each deal will be looked at on its own, but I think this has been an awesome month. It is an awesome month now for anybody who is a telco communications operator because the world is now open for vertical integration in in a way that I think is fairly significant. Um, Needless to say, we know Comcast will be issuing its formal bid uh, either today or tomorrow, many say today, um, but, you know, what What does Charter wind up doing? Do they start to enter into the fray? What will other companies start doing in this space? And also, they have another win behind their backs right now, and another reason to want to buy up some of these valuable media assets is the fact that net neutrality is, is fading away. At the same time, the media companies all know that they need to go direct-to-consumer, um, they do not want to be running into the arms of Google and Facebook and Amazon. They want to figure out how they can get direct access to consumers. And given that they have been working with a number of these larger operators for years and years, I think they may feel a little bit more comfortable embracing their arms than uh, those of the, uh, the fangs, if you will, <laughs> um, out in California. Um, so, yes, I think there'll be a lot more activity coming uh, coming on board here, and it'll be an exciting uh, space to watch over the coming months. Marianne, what do you think are the chances that the Justice Department will appeal this ruling? You know, <laughs> of course we're not talking about a normal presidency, so we're not necessarily always talking about a normal Justice Department either. Um I think it's been actually quite interesting that it's been somewhat silent and quiet. Um, In some respects, I don't know if this is a fight that they want to pursue right now. Um, There's a lot of other things happening. Um, The judge really didn't give them a lot of leeway for appealing um, because really the judge basically didn't so don't don't bo- don't bother at requesting a stay. He says I'm not going to grant one. But it, it's based <laughs> yeah. on whether he did whether there were any errors during the trial. It's not based on what the judge says, which was don't appeal. That's true. That's true. But the, you know, I let's see. I'm not sure. I, I really can't make a judgment there. So um, let the. 
taking, let's say that they don't appeal, what will this decision, do you think, have any effect on whether the government opposes future media deals? Well, I think this one was a unique situation. Um, you know, listen, <laughs> Jeff Zucker is the guy that actually allowed Donald Trump to run for president because he's the guy that greenlit The Apprentice. And then uh, Trump expected Zucker to be very kind to him on CNN, and he was trying to be, if you will, uh, a proper journalistic institution. So um, it was a very interesting and unique situation. Um, you know, clearly when uh, uh, Disney announced its intent to buy Fox, Trump uh, applauded that deal, although that's a horizontal merger and not a vertical merger. Um I don't know. I, I think I go back to Petrocelli here is that each decision is going to have to be evaluated on its own. And uh, given the president of the United States, who he is and his varying opinions on different things, it, it will depend upon each situation. So, All that being said, though, I still think there's going to be a lot more consolidation going on. Um, it's clear does, that does that, that mean higher price? Will that mean higher prices for consumers? Got to get that question. I think ultimately you can wind up seeing. I mean, first of all, you got have the 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 the, uh, uh, the the combining of net neutrality and this decision coming uh, together all at the same time. I think could wind up leading to higher prices, and also the the media companies are going to be more and more resistant. If, you know, if they wind up continuing to get bought up by these larger companies, they're going to become more and more resistant to providing content to the. Uh, the Amazons and to the um, uh, Netflixes as well. In fact, with Netflix, they're all uh, uh, holding back a lot of their content now, um, and that will continue. So, uh, it, yes, I do think you could see higher prices for consumers, um, not right away, but over time, yes. All right. Thanks so much, Marianne. That's Marianne Halford. She is with OCNC Strategy Consulting. A reminder, you can listen to all of today's interviews as well as past episodes of the show anytime on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. That's Bloomberg.com slash podcast. OMB Director and Acting CFPB Chief Mick Mulvaney told reporters yesterday that the Trump administration will adhere to a June 22nd deadline to pick a permanent director for the Consumer Protection Agency. Speaking with Bloomberg earlier this year, Mulvaney said that the head of the CFPB, no matter who it is, has too much power. My objections to the, the Bureau remain the same, which is that the structure is, is completely... Uh, uh, it's irrational. I have way too much authority as an individual. Jesse Westbrook is Bloomberg News financial regulation editor. He joins us now by phone for more on this story. And Jesse, uh, some interesting names uh, getting kicked around here on uh, who might replace uh, Mick Mulvaney and become the permanent CFPB director. Who are they? Yeah, I mean, some of the, the people are being interviewed are Daryl Issa, a Republican congressman from Orange County. Um, obviously, his political career in Congress is, is sort of nearing an end, so maybe he's looking for work. We, uh, we have others, such as uh, the guy who runs the, the credit union regulator. Um, I mean, I think you consistently expect that uh, all of these people will continue the work that Mick Mulvaney is doing of 
sort of defanging this watchdog and irritating Democrats on Capitol Hill. Do you see any pattern in the people's names that have been mentioned so far? I don't know that there's a pattern. I mean, they're, they're, they are all conservative Republicans, people who have a different attitude to regulation than, than what we saw under the Obama administration. Um, I mean, it's, it's a routine thing that once people come to the swamp and they have political careers and those political <laughs> careers start, start running dry, they start looking for jobs elsewhere. I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting, particularly on the Republican side, you know, a lot of the people who criticize all these agencies, but then they, they often end up working at them. Uh-huh. Well, we know that, that Mick Mulvaney has been highly critical of the agency. He's been uh, trying to roll back uh, at least some of its uh, enforcement and actions. But for any real change around the authority of the CFP dire- director or the structure of the CFPB, that would be up to Congress. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and and that requires 60 votes, and and that's why in the big uh, Dodd-Frank rollback bill, we just saw that that passed Congress, nothing touching the CFPB was in there because there are not 60 votes to to rip up and 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 overhaul the CFPB. But if if you have someone who doesn't believe in the mission of the agency running the place, you know they they can not sue companies. They can take sort of a, a laissez-faire attitude to enforcing rules. Um, they can reassign staffers to unimportant jobs. I mean, there's a lot you can do if you do not believe in the mission of an agency. So, Jesse, obviously Mick Mulvaney didn't have to go through a Senate confirmation hearing. But for someone else who wants to take this job, who's nominated to take this job, who doesn't like the agency, basically, or doesn't support the agency's mission, will they have a hard time getting Senate confirmation? I I don't think so, because uh, remember, you don't need 60 votes to get confirmed in the Senate. Um, All you need is is a simple majority that's unlike legislation. I, I have a hard time believing that in most cases, Republicans in the Senate are, are not going to approve Trump's nominees, um, particularly for this agency that is, is not liked by the financial services industry, which donates a lot of money to Republican lawmakers. So uh, I understand that the CFP director, uh, director no matter who it is, um, has some flexibility in bringing enforcement cases. But there are certain enforcement cases that might be particularly egregious. Uh, you know, I'm thinking here about all the problems at Wells Fargo. I mean, so, so there, are, there are minimum things that the agency would do. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah. I mean, 100%. And, and the fine imposed on Wells Fargo under Mick Mulvaney was the agency's biggest fine ever. A billion dollars, um, wasn't it? Well, it was it was a billion dollars shared with the office of the controller of the currency, but but whether it was shared or not, it was still the biggest fine the agency has ever done. You know what was interesting about that is you probably remember Trump's tweet that they were going to you know come down hard on Wells Fargo. So 
Uh, was that a one-off, or was Mulvaney pleasing his boss? I guess that's a question for Mick Mulvaney. Yes, we will find out about that one-off. It seems like it is. But let's change topics here a little bit. Six Senate Democrats are asking the SEC's internal watchdog to investigate a Republican commissioner who berated Citigroup over its stance on companies that sell guns. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so this is an interesting story. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, a bunch of executives from Citigroup were, were inside the SEC ostensibly to talk about derivatives regulation, an esoteric topic to the rest of us, but something that is very important to banks because they are heavily engaged in the derivatives markets. And, and as the meeting was sort of running to an end, this Republican commissioner, Michael Piwawar, uh, started blasting Citigroup over their decision to stop financing um, companies that were doing business with gun gun dealers, and uh, and Citigroup executives were sort of taken aback. They they didn't think that they would go into the SEC and, and get a, a a tongue lashing about their gun policy, but that's indeed what happened. And now a Democratic lawmaker, Chris Van Hollen, and and a handful of his Democratic colleagues want the SEC Inspector General to investigate this and and make a conclusion about whether this was proper conduct by an SEC commissioner. Jesse Westbrook, Bloomberg News Financial Regulation Editor. Thank you for all of that. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcasts. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.